Romans chapter 5, back in chapter 3, basically God's word establishes a truth that everybody in the house this morning needs to understand, that apart from Jesus Christ, we are all guilty and condemned of sin. It, it, it's just the straight facts. Like them, and embrace it, reject it, it does not matter. Apart from a right relationship with Christ, you are condemned because of your sin. And so in Romans 3 and in, in verse 10, Paul basically sums it up by, by saying that there are none that are righteous, not even one. All of us, everybody in the house, are guilty of sin. But thank God, church, by the end of Romans chapter 3, God's word takes Christians from guilt and shame and condemnation to God's amazing grace. That's the message and the hope of the gospel for everybody that's here today. And that's where we need to really tune in and, and really understand the Word of God, that everything that we talk about centers around the cross of Jesus Christ, God's total forgiveness, His righteousness, His everlasting life is available to all who will believe in the crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Next, in Romans chapter 4, which we covered last week, Paul uses uh, the Old Testament example of Abraham to establish that salvation has always been God's grace through faith in the Lord. And the Old Testament saving faith was in the promise of a coming Savior that would be a descendant of Abraham. A New Testament saving faith, faith is the fulfillment of God's promise through the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 4, it, it went on to explain some amazing blessings that come through a faith in our Lord. Now, in chapter 5, Paul continues to talk about the blessings of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at our text this morning, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning and we want to pause right now. I want to pray for everything that's going on at the South Campus that you would speak in a mighty and a powerful way right now through Adam. Use the band, use the greeters, the smiling faces that are there that your gospel may be proclaimed and received and much would be made about you. Lord, I pray the exact same prayer for this house this morning that 
God, we want to glorify you. We want to point to you. We want it to be about you. So, God, I pray that over the next few minutes through the preaching of your word, we would have great understanding through the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Lord, calm us this morning. Calm us to, to be able to hear, to discern, to receive what it is that your word has for us. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he longed to be in Rome. And if you walk with us back during our study of Acts, you, you knew that he had a longing to be there as the Holy Spirit guided him. Paul wanted to meet with uh, existing churches, other Christians. He wanted to strengthen them in the Lord. He also wanted to preach the good news to the empire. And he knew that that's exactly what he was going to do. We know this because if you remember back in Romans chapter 1, Paul wrote in verse 9, he says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to unwise. So, as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. About four years later, Paul did make it to Rome. He was a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And even though his only crime was telling the truth about Jesus Christ, he would get to make his way, hopefully, to make an appeal to Caesar. The apostle had been in chains about four years or so. He had suffered many, many tribulations and hardships because of the calls for Christ. But Paul never forgot how blessed he was. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, he could write things like, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Here's the facts, Christians. We can't always rejoice in our health or our looks. Look over at your neighbor and say, that's true. We can't. There's people in here that have lots and lots of health problems, and some of you ain't the prettiest there's ever been. You can't rejoice in those things. The facts, the facts are we can't always rejoice in our finances. Can I get a? There you go. We can't always rejoice in our boneheaded family. Oh, there you go. Here we go. Our jobs. Okay. Our grades. That's oh, getting worse. Here's the truth. There's lots of things that we cannot rejoice in. It's just life, right? I mean, you ever hear some of these, what I call younglings, you know, the new with the married, the new with kids. They've not been around very long. You know what I'm saying? Some of us have underwear that's older than they are, right? Um, 
and, and, and they go to complaining about life, and it just sounds like what to you? Sounds like life to me, right? Just, it's just normal. There's lots of things that we are unable to rejoice in, and most of the time, those are things that are circumstantial, right? I mean, today it's good, today it's not, you know? Uh, you know, when you have a chocolate bar and you've not opened it yet, you're, man, this, I'm so happy right now, right? But when it's gone, you're like, oh, crap, I wish I had another. Am I, am I right? That's the way life looks, you know? I, I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality of what our life looks like in the things that are temperamental, I mean, the things that are temporary, the things that we are unable to, to, to rejoice in because we're good here today, but tomorrow we're not good. But here are, here are the facts that we need to understand. We can always rejoice in a risen Savior. We can always rejoice in our salvation. We can always rejoice in a righteous and holy and sovereign God who has all things under his power and his control. We may not be able to rejoice about crap tearing up at the house or the truck's transmission falling out or the toys that are broken or our accomplishments, but we can always rejoice in the person of Jesus Christ. We're blessed. I mean, think about it. Right now, our hands are not in chains, are they? We're not truly being persecuted for gathering up and meeting as God's folks this morning. And looking back over our lives, I'm sure all of you can, if you would just sit back and think about how you have been blessed, there's actually been a lot that you could be thankful for. Currently, even in the midst of your circumstances, they're just temporary. If all those things that we would call our blessings were taken away, were stripped down, Today, we would still have the most important thing to rejoice in, Jesus. Our salvation, our promise of heaven, the forgiveness of sins. Our text today shows some of the greatest blessings of all. And the first one's this, believing in Jesus gives us peace with God. Look at verse 1. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what, church, and for those that are not part of the church, believing in Jesus gives us peace with God. And it has this idea, this word idea of tranquility, of harmony, of security, of safety. Christians, we have peace with God through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because God's wrath, God's wrath has been taken away by the cross of Jesus Christ. What it is you actually deserve, because the wages of sin is death, what it is you actually deserve in Christ has been taken away, and you've been given absolutely what you don't deserve, salvation, forgiveness, a cleansing of your sins. We're no longer at war with God. And that's crucial because fighting against God is a war you're never going to win. Do you understand that? Now, if you haven't believed in Jesus this morning, if you haven't recognized him as Lord and called to him, you are an enemy of God. You say, now, wait a minute, pastor. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm God family country up in this place. I may not be a churchgoer. 
I may not be what you folks call a Christian, but I'm, 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 I'm God family country up in this mug, right? That's why a lot of Southerners believe. If you're from the North, you probably look at this and go, yeah, this is the way these suckers believe. But yeah, you think that just by osmosis because you were born in the South and there's churches everywhere you look that somehow, some way, God looks at you and goes, yeah, you know, you're just, uh, you were born in the right place and it just so happens that there are churches everywhere and yeah, you're a churchgoer and those things and so therefore I'm, I'm going to say that you're a good person, but that's not true. That's a lie from the pits of hell. People tell themselves and they got this what we call the good old boy syndrome, right? If I'm just good enough, if I just give enough, you know, if, 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 I, if, I, if I try my best, God looks at me and goes, okay, you know, he's doing his best here. But that's not the way salvation works, you see. We must come into an understanding of our need for Jesus and cry out to him in repentance, meaning a turning away and ask him to do what we cannot do for ourselves. And if we don't, we're at war with God. We are enemies of God. And I know that statement tears folks up, but here's the facts. You either are for God or you are against God. Nobody is neutral, no gray areas here. How do I know it? The Bible tells me. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 tells believers and reminds believers that God demonstrates his own love for us uh, demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners or still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The truth is, the Bible says that if you, if you are without Jesus Christ, you are at war with God. We are his enemies. And realize it is not his fault. It is your fault. It is my fault. It's always our fault. Why? Because we're the ones who rebel. We're the ones who disobey. We're the ones who sin. But guess what Jesus did? The glorious gospel. Jesus came to give us peace and to make us right with a holy God. He gave, came to give us two types of peace. He came to give us eternal peace. And this is the most crucial peace of all, peace with God. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19, says that it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. You see, King Jesus died on the cross to take all the punishment, all the judgment, all the wrath of God. And the Bible tells us that three days later, he rose again from the dead. And now we can have this peace that we must have in this life. How? Through a right relationship with Jesus, period. We recognize that he's Lord. That's how we come to this peace. He also gives us an internal peace. We also desperately need this internal peace in our lives. Galatians 5.22 tells us that, that the fruit of God's Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives is love, joy, and, and peace. 
In Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells Christians to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when you're in Christ, you get the peace of God. You become part of the beloved. You become an adopted son and daughter. You are no longer an enemy, my friends, but you become a son. You become a daughter. You become a joint heir with Christ. So without Jesus, there can never really truly be any type of peace. But we are justified by faith when we confess and believe in the one who died in our place. And that's the kind of peace that I'm talking about here with God. It's nothing that we do. It's all about what he has done. Second things I want to point out in verse 2, believing in Jesus also gives us a, a pathway to God. It says, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Our faith in Jesus Christ gives us an introduction or in some translations, access into God's grace. Our faith in Jesus gives us access into all the goodness of God, an introduction into all the good things of God. You may have seen those road signs before that says limited access, right? You may have been uh, wanting to go backstage of your favorite concert and you don't have an all-access pass. You know what I'm talking about? There may be limited access, kind of like a limited warranty on something you bought that had a warranty, but it's actually not a warranty. It's a limited warranty, right? So basically what's torn up on, it's limited in your warranty most of the time. That's where we find it. Think about this. It's this introduction, this all-access that we get in our text here in, in verse number two. We have been brought in by Jesus and introduced. And I don't know about you, but introductions, I think, are pretty important to be respectful, to be hospitable, uh, to both being a guest and a host and meeting and introducing yourself to someone for the very first time. I, that's real important. That's what I think of when I think of introductions. And, you know, nothing like somebody who's rude that doesn't greet their host, right? I always hate that. I think people like that are sorry. But, you know, that, this is bigger than that. I want you to understand that. This is a bigger type of introduction. This is what Jesus Christ himself has done for us. Without our help, by the way, I just hope you understand that, we are introduced by Jesus through faith into God's grace, and he is the one who makes that way of introduction our access to a holy and righteous God. Basically, Jesus takes us into the very presence of God. And when that door's open, we don't find God's wrath and condemnation, y'all. You hear me, church? When Jesus makes that introduction, when he gives us that access to a holy God, behind that door is not a wrathful God that's looking to condemn you but a heavenly father that opens his arms 
wide open and says, welcome, my beloved. And the thing about it is you and I don't have anything to do with it. It's what Jesus does. He's the one that gains the access for us. He's the one that gives us the introduction. Through the cross, Jesus opens his door for us in the presence of God. In fact, Jesus said of himself in the great I am statements that he himself is the door. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Think about that word picture for just a moment. When Jesus himself being the door opens the door to the heavenly Father, we find peace, we find pasture, we find exactly what it is that we need. The, re the, the way that we were made by God, we find fulfillment in being in his presence. And that's what Jesus is doing here. In fact, Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except by me. Next thing I want you to see in verse three is it also gives us praise for God. He says that we exult, exult in hope of the glory of God. This word exult or rejoice in verse two is talking about a, a, a joyful boasting about God. This is where we brag on God. We give him the glory. We're praising the Lord. We rejoice. And it's a, a strong word, this rejoice, meaning that we are absolutely filled to the gills with the joy of God. It's this idea of being filled with so much joy that we can't even hold it in. You ever been around a Christian that loves Jesus so much, they can't hold it, can hardly contain it. If you ain't, you need to find one. And if you are one, you need to let the rest of everybody else know, I guess. I don't know. But we began to praise the Lord, rejoicing in this sure hope that we have. And the truth is we ought to praise God for who he is and all he's done all the time. But we especially ought to praise God for the wonderful, sure hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Next thing I want you to see is believing also gives us progress from God. Look at verse 2 again. It says, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. Paul tells us, Paul tells us right here that we can joyfully boast even in our tribulations. And the reason why is because the progress that God is taking us, this trail that he's taking us, this movement that he's taking us down, because of our faith in Jesus, we can keep giving God glory and joyful praise even in the hard times in life. Now, I want you to understand these tribulations that Paul's talking about are specific. They're not based on the things that we do that are stupid or brought on by ourselves. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Sometimes I want to clarify the scriptures here to make sure that you understand. Sometimes we bring tribulations 
on ourselves because we do something ignorant. Anybody? You ever done something and it's like, oh, man, the devil's after me today. No, buddy, you're just dumb, right? Have you ever met somebody like that? It's always the devil's fault. It's like, man, you're giving the sucker way too much credit, okay? No doubt he's prying like a roaring lion, but he's probably not after you. Remember, he's, no, he's not omnipresent, so he can't be everywhere at all times. He's probably not after you. You're a train wreck by yourself. You know what I'm saying, right? Sometimes that's why I don't ever blame the devil for stuff because I know I'm a train wreck on my own. But we, we do. There's things. We put ourselves in cir- circumstances, right? We put ourselves maybe in, 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 in uh, over-promising and under-delivering, or maybe we get ourselves in a financial bind, right? Or we do something extra ignorant on certain days, right? Like trying to do burnouts and smoking tires and popping wheelies and that sort of thing, and then our transmission goes out, right? We climb hills we ought not to, flip stuff, and then we go, the devil's just after me today. Right? I mean, that's ignorance. That's pure ignorance. Uh, we, we, we talk, we, we, we speak when we probably should listen sometimes. We get ourselves in a bind with somebody else because we probably should have just shut our mouth and went, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, or whatever. But instead, we got to run that five-cent mouth, right? And we got to say something regardless. Before we know it, we open up a whole can of worms, and then everybody's against us. Oh, I'm just going through tribulation. That's not what Paul's talking about here, by the way. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's referring to suffering caused when we follow Jesus in a world that hates him. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about stuff we get ourselves into because we do ignorant stuff. He's actually talking about suffering for Jesus, the tribulations that come when we stand up when nobody else will. When we stand up for Jesus and we take that stand and we say, you know what, this is what the Lord said. I'm going to believe in the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. And everybody else rises against us because we do it. That's the tribulations that Paul is specifically addressing. This has nothing to do with whether or not you can pay your cell phone bill this month. Amen? It's the truth. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but that's, that's what he's talking about. Here's the truth. When we go through tribulations because the cause of Jesus Christ, we can rejoice because tough times in our lives and persecution brings us progress in the Christian life. When somebody starts questioning your faith, when somebody starts telling you, well, now the Bible don't say that or it contradicts itself or no, I don't think you know what you're talking about. What do you do? You turn to the scriptures, don't you? You begin to dig. You begin to study so you know what you're talking about. Am I right? Anybody ever do that before? Yeah. You get ready. You get prepared. You grow. You learn. You get convicted. As you begin to do this, you're praying the whole time, Lord, give me the words to say. I want to be able to speak wisdom right here, but I want to know what I'm talking about, so I'm going to read and study the Scripture, and the Word begins to speak to you, and you begin to change yourself. Not only do you get the the head knowledge, but you begin to get the heart knowledge, don't you? And the Word of God begins to get here and begins to change you, and you go at it in a totally different way. There's been many times that I've gotten ramped up over something somebody said that I thought, boy, that is just don't sound right at all. I go to the Word of God. I find out it's not right. I began to study it because I'm thinking the next time that sucker brings it up, pam, 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 I'm going to pound on that head, and they're going to cry when it's over with. It's going to be like that. And then the more I study it, the more it begins to change me. You see, when we're 
facing tribulations, when we're facing questioning, when we're facing somebody saying, no, that's not right, that's bogus, that's hogwash, that's old-timey stuff, whatever, it draws us and strengthens us in our faith. And think about all that we learn when we do have tribulations in our lives. Think of all the growth that takes place where you're prepared and you're stronger for the next time. You ever notice how that happens? Happens all the time. Paul says we also exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. Did you notice that proven character thing? This idea here um, has this idea of when we go through these type of tribulations he's talking about, these hard times, it tends to reveal our true character, amen? Have you ever seen somebody that talked a really, really, really great game and then when tribulations hit, they just crumble? And you go, I did not see that coming. This is exactly what he's talking about right here. As we go through these hard times, as we go through these tribulations, when people are against us, it does reveal our true character, both to us and to everybody around us. If we see ourselves falling short, then we can call on God for the added strength and wisdom that we need through the power of the Scripture. And I'll tell you one thing that this does for me is that when I see somebody going through the thick of it, there has been saints in this church that have gone on now to be with the Lord that whenever they got the worst news of their lives... Man, they rose to the occasion and gave glory to Jesus. When other people rose up against them and they were facing actual tribulation because of their faith in Jesus Christ, they rose to the occasion. You know what, they, what that does for me? It inspires me, doesn't it, you church? Doesn't it equip you? Doesn't you go, wow, God, thank you. Thank you for this brother. Thank you for this sister that is able by your goodness and by your grace to rise. God's at work in our lives, church, even when we think he's not. He even uses these challenges that we face to get us ready for the challenges of tomorrow. We get the challenges, but we also get the changes from the challenges. That makes sense. Through Jesus Christ, it's always a change for the better. Verse 5, final pondering, I guess you could say. We see that it also gives us an outpouring of God's love. Look at verse 5. It says that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I don't want you to think about pouring out like a little old garden hose. I don't want you to think about a little old stream out of your sink. When we think about what he says right here, he says that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about Niagara Falls. When the Lord goes to pouring, it's not a light rain and it's not a heavy rain. It's like Niagara Falls. That's how God floods our heart with his love when we are in Christ, but we've got to open up our eyes. We've got to recognize it. We've got to see that this God-sized love comes by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It, it comes through this faith in Jesus Christ. It includes our love for God, our love for 
our brothers and sisters in Christ, our neighbors, our love for the lost. This God-sized love includes love for people who have hurt us, who have wounded us, the people that do not like us. This love allows us to do what would otherwise be impossible for us to do on our own. How many of you right now are currently loving somebody because Jesus first loved you? Anybody? I'll be honest with you. I can tell you I am. I am. There are people that are in my life that I love that I do not like. A bunch of hypocrites up in this place. That is right. Don't go to church. It's full of hypocrites. Listen, I, know, I do it too, y'all. I'm just, I'm funning with you, but I'm actually being honest. The truth is, is that the love that, that we're talking about right here that, it, that, is, that is poured on us, like Niagara Falls, man, you can't even stand up to it. It's just going to wash you away. This love that's given by the Holy Spirit, it allows us to do things that we would otherwise be unable to do, love the people that hate us, that persecute us, that don't like us too much or not at all. It allows us to love the people that we don't really care too much for, but because of Jesus, we know that we can't hate them, so we should love them. So that's exactly what we're going to do. How do we do it? We do it through the power of God to love people. Jesus was asked about the greatest commandments one time. What are the greatest out of the 10 is what he meant. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He said, the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What kind of love was Jesus talking about? He's talking about this love right here. This love that has been given to us, this hope that does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This allows us to do things and love people and have a love for the lost and people that don't understand the gospel and people that don't look like us, smell like us, act like us, talk like us, think like us, be able to love them. And no matter what it is they say against us, no matter how much they hate us, we are able to love them because Christ first loved us. God himself is the definer of love. The Bible tells us clearly in John's epistle that God is love. How do we possess this love this morning? Through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Not based on anything that you've done. Not based on what it is you think you can do or one day when you'll kind of get things worked out in life. That's not how this thing works. And I'm no used car salesman, so I'm not gonna get up here and try to beg and plead with you to receive Christ as Savior and Lord this morning. I'm just going to tell you the truth. He is Savior and Lord. You need him. Apart from him, you will bust hell wide open in a great judgment one day. That's just a straight facts. The only way to be made right before a holy God because of your sin is to call on the name of Jesus. If you have not done that, my friends, you will be in for a rude awakening one day. And probably one of the greatest lies that's told from the American pulpit today is this idea that somehow Jesus needs us, that God needs us to be on his side. My friends, 
That's a lie from the pits of hell. God does not need you this morning. You desperately need him. Are you looking for peace? Well, let me tell you, the peace that passes all understanding is in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, period. What you've looked for, what you've longed for all your life, and all the things that you've tried to fill into, the, into your life to, to give you some sort of satisfaction, and it's not panned out, and you go, why? This is the why. People are always looking for a sign, but the sign is right here. It's his word. He tells us what our desperate needs are. This is where we look to find out who God is and what it is that he's called us to do. This morning, I'm sure there's people in the house that need to get things right before holy God. It's very simple. When you recognize that you have sinned, You've broken a Ten Commandment or two or three or all ten. You know it. People always smile real big because you're guilty, right? And if I said, how many have you broke today? I'm sure we could probably have lots of confession in here, right? So facts. We are in trouble, my friends, apart from Christ. So we recognize we have broken your law, God. We have not done right, and the things we think we've done right, they're not even right, come to find out. We hear the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for that sin. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, I'm sure there are some here that need to call on the name of the Lord. You don't need to call on the name of the pastor or the church. or what, You need to call on the name of the Lord. He's the one that can give you this peace that the Bible's talking about. This is what your purpose is. This morning, if you need to do business with God, if you've recognized your need for him and you've called out to him, we would love to talk to you about that, explain that more, take you in the scripture, give you a Bible if you don't have a Bible. This morning, if you have questions, we want to try to do our best to answer them according to what the word says. This morning, maybe you've called out on the name of the Lord. You've asked him to save you, but you, you've, never, you've never been baptized. You've never been scripturally baptized. You've never taken that first step of obedience. We would love to talk with you about that. Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you just need encouragement. Whatever it is, don't leave this place today without getting things right and be able to share in the hope, my friends. There's lots of things in this life that I don't have hope in, all <laughs> right? I mean, I don't even want to list them. Y'all would just amen me to death up here, and we ain't got time for all that, right? But the truth is, is the one thing that I know that is sure in my life is a right relationship with Jesus. And here's the reason why. Because it has nothing to do with me. I cannot foul it up because I'm not the initiator, I'm not the saver, and I'm not the sustainer. If I played a part in any of those three things that I listed, I would booger it up every single time. This morning, we can rejoice in our salvation because it's held by the Lord. This morning, if you need to talk to somebody about that, we would love to be able to do that. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your word would go out. It would encourage and equip this week. Give us, Lord, a zeal to share it. In Jesus' name, amen.